Hello and welcome to the VanCast. I'm your host, Graham Eels, and today we're with Steve. Steve, how are you doing, my friend? I'm very good. I'm very good. So, first off, I'd just like just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Let's see here. Um, I'm 35 years old, um, married, two young kids. I've got a daughter that's five, a son that's uh, two and a half, and um, we also have a dog that just turned seven. And, and uh, I'm an avid gym goer and uh, investor. Look at that. He is living the life. That's what every man dreams is to have a loving family, a nice dog, and to really take care of his health. So what really drew you to physique in the first place when you were younger, I'm, I'm presuming? Okay, well, um, I've always had an athletic background. Uh, I grew up playing basketball and um, it was funny, I, I used to go to these really intense basketball camps uh, in the summertime. Um, and I went to this one camp uh, at Stanford University. It was, the, uh, it was called the Stanford High Potential Basketball Camp. I was uh, going into grade 10, I was 15. And I went there and I thought that I was pretty good at the time. I mean, I had a lot of skill. But in terms of raw athleticism, which is generally what they look for at that age and skills develop later on, um, I clearly, you know, just being a, you know, a, a general height Asian guy, I didn't really have it. I wasn't like Jeremy Lin or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was this 14-year-old uh, black kid that was at the camp and he was doing windmill dunks. Oh, my God. Yeah. So uh, the coach at the time, his name was Mike Montgomery. He acted, He ended up leaving the next year to go coach Golden State um, for a year in the NBA. But he was there. And I remember him going up to this kid and he said, son, how would you like to play for Stanford someday? And the kid didn't even hesitate, looked him dead in the eyes and goes, I don't know. I got to wait for my options. Wow. That kid knows what's up. Yep. Well, and I that is. I literally knew as soon as I heard that story passed down, because everybody heard this story passed down through camp, I was like, I don't think I'm going to really make it that far in this sport. Because clearly uh, he's had already a couple people approach him because oh, he's totally. that good. Totally. And I mean, you know, you look at the competition and the kids these days and, you know, I just, I knew that I wanted to, you know, at least compete at a higher level from high school. So... The following year, um, grade 11, grade 12, I ended up going to a boarding school on Vancouver Island called Seanigan Lake. Yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard of that. They're good rugby players. Really, really good rugby players and a really, really good rowing, uh, rowing team because obviously they're on a lake, right? You've got still water. Generally, when you're rowing, you want to be rowing in still water, not on ocean water where there's wake and waves. Yeah. And so I think the lake... Uh, at the time was, uh, you know, like 20 or 22 kilometers of just straight water. And it was perfect for rowing. And so my cousin and my roommate, who was my roommate at the time, um, and another guy, they were both really heavy into rowing. And they kept telling me, Steve, just come out and try it. Come out and try it. You've got the perfect body type. You know, you're 5'10", 5'11", really, really lean. You could be like a really promising lightweight rower if you pick it up quickly. And I was still so focused on basketball. 
So I played basketball in my grade 11 year, just listening to these guys and hearing their stories and everything. Grade 12 comes along and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give this thing a shot because the basketball season doesn't start until, until winter. So if I just spend fall rowing, then, you know, I can see what it's all about. And I, and I got into it and I completely fell in love with rowing. I was like, wow. And, um, I ended up quitting the basketball team. I still remember going and telling the coach because, you know, the varsity squad for the basketball team was supposed to be pretty good that year. You know, we had a, a you know, a seven foot guy that was, uh, was really promising. So, um, you know, we had a good team and I was the, the, the top guy for the point guard spot. And I just said, you know what, I'm sorry. Like, I, I think I, I'm going to pursue this rowing thing. So I ended up rowing and, um, following that, um, I went to school in California. Um, so I went to Santa Clara university, which is uh, where Steve Nash went. Sweet. And, yeah. And so they had a rowing team out there and I, and I walked onto the rowing team and it was insane um, because that was my dream. It was to, you know, to compete at a division one level. And um, let me just say, man, like guys in the States, division one, division two, division three, just any program, they take their athletics incredibly seriously. Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. So like, just to give you an example of our practice schedule, we had a 5.15 a.m. practice on the water. And in California, there isn't a lot of water. So we, there was this, um, there was this uh, slough of water called the Los Gatos Reserve, where we would drive to. It was about a 30-minute drive every morning. So we would all pile into these mini bands and drive out there. And then we would row in this water, which was you know a huge step down from my high school rowing on this pristine lake. Um, but it was an awesome experience just being out there with the boys in California. So 5.15 a.m. practice. Then you come back, eat breakfast, go to classes, whatever. Then you have a 5.15 p.m. practice, which was always some form of really, really intense cardio, whether it was on the rowing machines that you see at the gym. The ergs. Exactly. It's called the erg. So the Latin word for erg, the Latin, uh, erg is a Latin word, and it actually means work. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so the ergometer is basically the workometer if you really think about it and break it down what it really means. And so, yeah. And so in rowing terms, you would do these um, sets of time and a set of time on these, uh, on these ergs is called the piece. So you would do pieces of work is what they're called. So, you know, you do like uh, today, the workout's going to be, you know, six, five minute pieces and your stroke rate, meaning how fast you're on the rowing machine is going to be set to a 20 or 22. And, um, you know, basically the way the coaches had it set up is the ergs would be in a long line and everybody would sit on the erg. And after every single piece, the coach would go down and ask you what your split was. And your split essentially was your power output for that particular piece. And they would rank you. And so what you would have to do is you'd have to get up and you would have to go and sit and move to the next erg where your rank was. So every single piece was essentially a race against your teammates. So it's incredibly right. competitive. Yeah, man. So like, imagine there's like 20, 20 plus guys on a squad and there's only eight seats in the top boat. So every single practice, every single workout is essentially a fight to become one of the top guys in the top boat. And, um, you know, like behind the ergs, there were three of those ginormous garbage cans that you see on uh, 
school campuses. Yeah. They would have those set up equally partitioned, you know, one on the left, one on the right, and one in the middle. Because at least every single practice, one guy would hurl or two guys would hurl. Jesus Christ. I'm talking every practice. <laughs> that, is, that is insane. So what, what was your like physique at this point and your kind of like diet at this point? Because it's a pretty extreme level. So, okay, so, 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 so back to the practice schedule. That's, yeah. that's second practice, okay? And then there was quote-unquote optional weights after dinner and by optional i mean you go there and fucking like three quarters of the team is there yeah you know what i mean so it's 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 a fight it's not really optional at that point right you're like damn you know like i got this i got a full school load so i mean you know at the time when i graduated high school i was five ten and a half and i was a buck 52 152 pounds and wow I like I went to college and I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't eat enough. I literally cannot eat enough food in order to sustain this. And I didn't know about much about nutrition at the time. And you're so burning I, insane calories too. Oh, dude, you know, you're burning thousands upon thousands of calories every day. Um, so I couldn't keep up. So I went to GNC and I got myself a whey protein powder. And this protein powder had a little bit of creatine monohydrate in it. And I would pound this stuff. And I think by the end of the school year, I was probably buck 65. Okay, okay. Working your way up. I worked my way up a little bit. And then I, you know, um, and, you know, I continued to row all throughout my college career. um, Ended senior year, which was pretty sweet. And, um, you know, like, you know, I was team captain at the end of the year. Like, it was awesome. It was a great So you made it on to the the number one boat. I made it on the number one boat, and I was pretty much the top the top dude. So I was the team captain my senior year. So what, what stats on the rowing machine gave you that position? It was more so of a leadership role. Um, okay, okay. You know, I'm a, pretty, I'm a pretty vocal guy. But, you know, in terms of stats on the rowing machine, like, you know, I was one of the top guys as well, like, uh, in terms of my ability and, and stuff like that. But that's not to say that Santa Clara was a really good rowing program. You know what I mean? The really, really touted rowing programs at the time were all the Ivy League schools, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and then there was a school, um, Cal Berkeley. They, those were always the best of the best. And, and, and Washington, actually. Washington. Washington was amazing. And then this really got, I guess, that was your first time with protein powder, and it got you really thinking about your body and physique. I guess so, yeah. You know, and, um, you know, the thing about rowing, which is very different from lifting weights, is it's very, very, very cardio-intensive. Yes. So I I didn't really get exposed to the weightlifting that much. Um, and so, you know, after I graduated from school, I started, you know, working and most guys, when they get caught up in the corporate scene, like, you know, working out and training just kind of falls by the wayside. Like, I mean, you don't really have that much time for it. Um, and I was working for a company in, uh, in San Francisco and this was around 2007 when I graduated. So 2008 was when I started work. And that's literally when the financial crisis hit. Yikes. Yeah. And so I got laid off pretty quickly and the whole arm of the company shut down within that next year. Um, and they consolidated all the offices and moved them to, uh, New York. And then I ended up coming back to Vancouver 
and uh, working for my family, and they're in, they're in retail, fashion stuff. And so I was in the family business for a while, and I had you know some time and started getting into the gym again. And I still wasn't taking it as seriously because kind of once you fall out of the rhythm of training, you don't really find it until you catch your groove or you have some sort of a catalyst. And so um, fast forward, I'm 26 years old, and I go to a church service with my wife, and this is like a super casual church. And this is in the summertime, the dead of summer. And this guy walks in and he's wearing a cutoff shirt. And he's got like the most ripped arms I've ever seen, like in person. Like I'm not like, I mean, you, you see, you know, ripped people all the time in magazines or in YouTube videos or on Instagram, but it's like in person. And so after the church service, I go up to this guy and I'm like, dude, like, what's going on, man? Like, you look amazing. And, um. He says to me, hey, I just finished this competition. I competed in it last night, and I won. And he's like, if you're really into it, he's like, you should sign up for the competition and compete in it next year. And I did it, man. Wow. I was, like, super out of shape. Like, I'm talking, like, I had, like, a little bit of a gut, a paunch. Um, I wasn't in very good shape at all. 26 years old, you know, just not you know, no real focus in the gym or anything. And that's what started me on my journey. You saw the, the guy and you're like, holy Nikes, I want to be like that. What do I got to do? And Pretty then much, you get the yeah, meaning was... and the purpose behind, and then you get that drive back. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, you need a catalyst. So the catalyst for me was, okay, I, I'm signing up for this competition and I see what it takes to win. And I know what my starting point is. So what do I have to do? And, um, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice is that I always give to guys that come up to me at the gym is hire a coach. Because so much of building a physique revolves around education. Yeah. And, edu- and a lot of the education comes from breaking down what you actually think is the truth. Because... A lot of guys think they know when they really don't know Yeah, what it takes, what you need to do, how you need to eat, how you need to train. And so that's what started me on the journey, man. That is incredible. And how did you do in this competition knowing that you started with like a pretty regular body? Um, I mean, I came in fourth. Um, which was pretty sweet, uh, first competition. But if you look at the pictures of where I was when I first started to where I was the day of the competition, like you wouldn't even recognize me. Like I, I, I think that I could stand next to that guy that I saw at the church and, and be very, very competitive with him. So you must have like completely redone your diet, like worked out five, six times a week like insane calories. What, what sort of regimen were you doing? So, um, once again, you know, throughout the year, I actually hired two coaches. Um, and they, you know, the first coach was very, very old school, this Iranian guy, um, old school bro science bodybuilder, you know, that got me cooking lean ground beef and chicken and rice and, you know, cutting out all carbs and going keto and training this and doing tons of cardio. And, um, and so that was my first experience working with that guy. Um, 
and I worked with him for the first, I say like six, seven months leading up to the competition. And then coming into the final weeks of the competition, I was like, I'm not cutting, I'm not losing any more weight. And so I found this other guy who ended up being the world champion natural bodybuilder in this federation called the IDFA, the International Drug-Free Association. He's the world champ. His name's Matt Noel. And um, he helped coach me until the final weeks leading into the competition and actually helping me peak. And I really, really understood more about nutrition and uh, bodybuilding and training once I started working with him. And so um, he had me on a push-pull um, leg split, typical of most natural guys. Yeah. And um, uh, he had me, you know, counting macros um, and doing certain amounts of cardio, um, you know, prescribing that week to week as it went on closer to the competition. However, however much I needed in order to cut and get totally peak ready for the day. You were at a point where you have a lot of knowledge. You're starting to really understand it. And then did you get to a point where you kind of plateaued? Are you talking about during the competition, like prep leading into the show? Um, or, or after the show? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, since then I've worked with so many different coaches. Um, I've probably spent probably like, anywhere between like ten dollars to $12,000 on coaching. Um, because these coaches, they, they're not cheap, these programs. And, and because the thing is, is that they're, they're going to share their knowledge with you. And every single coach has a different angle, a different theory behind training, behind nutrition. And at the end of the day, it's like we're all genetically different. We, yeah. all, have, we all have different things that... Um, make us click, make us tick. And as time goes on and as you start to get to know your body uh, more and more, and you can only do that through trial and error and through really, really buying into what a coach is telling you. And then afterwards, you look back and you reassess like, okay, this really worked for me or this didn't work for me. And um, you take pieces of what everybody taught you and you start to come up with a system of your own that works specifically for you. So, you know, to say that I hit plateaus, absolutely. But I think the biggest key for my development, um, because let's see, it's been, it's 10 years of training wow. um, under my belt now since the first competition. Um, it'll be 10 years because I was 26 when I started. I'm 35 turning 36. Um, and so the key is, is that I've never stopped consistency that's the biggest thing it is yes and then it's not just the consistency but it's also continuously searching for more answers and more knowledge and more techniques curiosity and, uh, yes and and getting better and building on knowledge so um you kind of started building your own structure because you've gained all this knowledge and so what what did that kind of look like what did you find was beneficial for you um okay so you know the push pull leg split was really really great um however one of the things that i found uh so here's the thing about bodybuilding and building a physique is that there is 
There is no magic bullet. There is no linear approach. It's an up and down and up and down sort of thing as you make your way. Um, but there are things that can really accelerate your progress because it sounds so cliche to say this, but bodybuilding is a lifestyle. Oh, I, I 100% agree. Like once you understand that it's not just like a phase, it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to like get big and then I'm big. It's no, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's dedication. It's hard work. It's good diet. It's taking care of yourself not just taking care of yourself like to an extreme to a methodic extreme to become the have the maximum output of potential absolutely and the thing is too is, is that the more time you spend working on your physique and bodybuilding the more you can recognize and appreciate someone that's put in that much work into their physique because when you look at their physique you can see the balance you can see the density of the muscle. You can see the thought they've put into the training and the style of training or building and bringing up weaknesses that they've done versus someone that you know is just blasting a ton of juice and comes into the scene <laughs> and, and is looking Eating totally Eating McDonald's watery. every day and yeah, just, just pumping chest and is like all arch forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that a lot too. Yeah, you do. So... So it's it's an art form. It is, it's like yeah. it's like personal sculpting. It is, yeah, and it's it's uh it's really really satisfying. I find more so than anything else that I've done. I mean, the rowing was great. It was really really fun, and, and understanding the the uh, the power of teamwork. Um, but uh, I don't know why the the bodybuilding has just touched me in a way like nothing else has. And it's not just the endorphins. It's, yeah. it's fully you. I totally understand. Like I'm, I'm nowhere to the level that you are or as dedicated as you are. I take it more as uh, just trying to be healthy and, and have something in my day that I can look forward to besides like the work that I'm doing. Um, and I find it's, it's, I just, I just love the whole idea of it. It's just, it's something that it's really only you know what's best for you after a certain amount of time. Only you understand it. And it's something that you can do with yourself, which I think is really important, especially today, because it's, it's hard for people to be by themselves and do things by themselves. But if you're alone, this is something you can focus your mind on and work with yourself and get better with yourself. And I think that's very powerful. The thing that really touches me about bodybuilding is how so much of it is an exercise of self-discovery. Because, I mean, you know, the, one of the founding principles of bodybuilding is this thing called um, progressive tension overload, PTO. And what that basically means is, is that you are either progressing by doing more reps of a movement or by lifting more maximally in that movement, Right. And that's basically one of the main ways and one of the only ways that your muscles can actually grow because your muscles basically respond to tension, right? And so you have to be training and lifting and doing more in order to progress. And how you achieve that progression is through all the things of sleep, diet, nutrition, supplementation, like everything that encompasses achieving that PTO. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. 
right? Yeah, that's the classic saying is you got to go harder than last time. You know, yeah. you got to you got to lift more, do more volume. You can't just do the same thing every day. It's <laughs> you do. You do, but at the same time you have to do it intelligently because yes. for anyone that suffered through a really big injury, uh, it takes a long time to recover and that can really set you back. So that's where the coaching comes in and the science comes in and understanding, okay, like how do I do this methodically and intelligently so that I don't have any really big setbacks? That is a huge point um, because it happens to a lot of people. You you work out for three years, you're, you're looking good, you injure yourself, you're out for a year and then you got to rebuild all of that. And it comes back with muscle memory, but still it's, it's just like three steps forward, one step back. So I, that's one of the biggest things is you really just need to be smart. You need to warm up. You need to stretch um, and you need to understand your body's limits. Yes. Um, and being being safe is very important um, because you know there's things like steroids that you're very educated about. There's there's things like people just oh yeah I'm just gonna go up and do my max, not warm up. You know I'm just I'm a beast, whatever. And it's you you do need to be actually smart and take take it seriously because you can you could. F- ruin your in your body just like that snap your fingers you blow out a disc or something and you're done so yep. safety is key yep so did you did you have an injury that you had to recover from yeah so um i was doing do you know what concentration curls are um content i've i've is that just like one one okay, so- arm so yeah, so say for example, if you're sitting down and you've got the elbow pressed against your knee and you're doing bicep curls, yeah, Arnold used to do those all the time and he made them very famous, but I was doing concentration curls uh, last spring and I was progressing incredibly quickly. Like I was doing like sets of 10 to 12 with, you know, 50, uh, 50 pound dumbbells. I'm like, oh wow, I can go up. So then I went to 55 and then 60, and then 65, and then 70. And then I was like, oh man, like I'm gonna be able to do concentration curls with 100 pound dumbbells. But in the meanwhile, I wasn't paying attention to the fact that, okay, as I'm progressing the weight, oh man, my reps are dropping, they're dropping, but I'm like, oh, the weight's going up. You know, and yeah, even me yeah. being, being as into the game as long as I have been, you get lost in the momentum of things and you get really euphoric and you're just like, okay, like pretty soon I'm going to be able to do this. And then suddenly, boom, I strained a nerve, a radial nerve, which is um, the nerve that goes kind of from the elbow form all the way up into your shoulder. Oh yeah. And I, and, and I really had to take a break and it set me back and it was just a huge wake up call. Like, okay, like chill out, chill out a little bit. And focus on mobility and, and get this thing working again. And, and I'm back full steam now, but it was just a wake-up call, you know? Yeah, it's a marathon. You it gotta is, you yeah. gotta look in the long run. You don't it's not about oh I have to be 
as quick as possible. I need to go up as quick as possible. And that also comes into the longer you work out, you, you kind of learn and you're not, you're less, you're less about the ego. Like when I was young, you know, in high school working out and I see the guy beside me picking up the fifties or the sixties, I want to pick up my highest weight. But as I got older, it's like I could be curling 10 pounds beside this guy and it doesn't matter because an intelligent, um, person that knows how to work out understands that there's all these different ways to work out and it, and it really doesn't matter what the person beside you is lifting well not only that but plus whatever they're doing is irrelevant to you it's not helping your gains exactly you know, you know what you have to do in order to progress a hundred percent and it gets to a point where you really don't really care about anyone else in the gym it's just i'm gonna i'm gonna do my thing and get in your zone you know listen to your music get yeah. hype which uh, I think is a big factor. List. I love listening to music. It uh, it gets me going. Like absolutely, 100%. absolutely. You got the gym playlist of the songs that really rile you up, and uh, you get to work. You get to work, baby. So, um, did you? So, when did you start like um, becoming educated about steroids? Okay, so the very first competition that I did, the first coach that I had, the Iranian coach, right away, right off the bat, he's like, you want to look like this guy? You want to do this? He's like, you have to take this. And at the time, I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes, because that's kind of my mentality. I'm going to do yeah. whatever it takes to achieve my goal. And so literally from the first competition, he got me on the gear. Um, and in retrospect, if I could go back in time, I would have loved to have worked with Matt first because he was a champion uh, natural bodybuilder, yeah, best in the world. And he would have been like, dude, heck no, don't, don't ever touch that stuff. But I can't turn back the hands of time, and that's just how things played out. So literally from the first competition, I, I understood what the gear was, what it is, how it works. And over the years, I've just educated myself more. So for people that are, don't really understand, what is the process with taking gear? It's very simple. Um, basically, your base is testosterone, and that's something that's natural to all men and women as well, um, but more so in men. And that's basically when your brain sends a message to your testicles to produce testosterone. Um, and so your body naturally creates a certain amount and when you inject exogenous, which is testosterone that's outside, coming from an yeah. outside source into your body, your natural production will shut down, but you can inject what are called super physiological doses into your body, which is, you know, exponentially greater amounts in your body, which will create a response um, to produce more muscle tissue, to heal faster, um, uh, mood issues as well. Um, so, you know, you hear the terms roid rage, uh, yep. generally I find that testosterone ends up almost enhancing a person's natural, um, tendencies. So the, the way that they are, like if you're, really so if they were already they, angry, they become, more yeah, angry. if you, if they were, but if they're angry, already kind of a softy, they become like more softy. 
Well, no, they don't. They don't really become more soft. I would say, but you know, because testosterone has an aggressive, more aggressive making effect. It definitely makes you more masculine and 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 brings out that aggressiveness. But I mean, if you're just a, a naturally chill guy, like I'm a really really chill guy. Like I've I've never been in a fight before. Never never thrown fists or anything in my life. I'm just I'm a really chill guy. I just try to be nice and kind to everybody that I come across. But I know guys that get on the gear and they just turn it into complete D-bags. And, you know, it just has a different effect on everybody. Well, that's that's good that you uh, are able to control. Because also, it's, it's a, you also probably, be, a calm person normally has control over their mind and their urges. So a thing like steroids may not affect you as much. But someone that's maybe a little bit more of a loose cannon can explode. Absolutely. Um. So what, what, what sort of injections were you taking? What sort of dosage? And like, um, what about the, uh, like you go on and off, like how to do it safely, basically? Okay, so um, there's many different ways to, to take the gear um, for all, for everybody that's listening that doesn't really know, that's the term that people use in the bodybuilding scene. When, uh, when they talk about steroids, they, 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 uh, they talk about it in terms of gear. Um, I mean, you can, there's so many different protocols for, for how to take this stuff. You know, you can take 200 milligrams per week and that's, that's what some guys would take for what's called TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, which would actually be prescribed from a doctor. Uh, 150 milligrams a week is a TRT dosage. The typical bodybuilding dosage is like 400 milligrams per week in the off season. And as you come into season where you're prepping for a show, that's when you start adding more compounds. Um, you know, you've got compounds like equipoise, EQ is the term, um, trenbolone. Uh, you have orals like D-ball, Anabar, Winstrol. Um, and I, I can't really go into the chemistry of all of these things. Yeah, that's, but that's fine. But basically, every single steroid has a purpose, and it will elicit a certain response in your body, which will create a certain visual look. And that's why these bodybuilders, they take so many different compounds going into a show, because each of them will help them achieve a certain look to their physique, so that when they come to show day, there's something about the physique that looks like almost as though it's gone through a filter on Instagram. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you take a photo and you start messing with the lighting or the saturation or whatever, it's like, imagine that, but in real life. And that's what these things will do. You know, that'll, they'll like suck out all the water that's, that's underneath the skin so that it looks airtight on the muscle. The muscles look more boxy and more round. It pulls out the vascularity you know, trenbolone will actually mess with your jawline and make you make it look more chiseled and defined. Um, that is wild. Yeah. So they all have different effects. And a lot of the coaches in the scene, they have different protocols. And that's what a lot of these professional bodybuilders will go to work with a coach because not only do they understand the diet that they want their clients to do, but they understand the cocktail of pharmaceuticals that they want their client to take supplemented with the diet in order to achieve the look that they, they think would help them win the show. Wow. 
I never got to that level. Never did. Um, I just stuck to very, very basic protocols, you know, just test, um, EQ, and, uh, you know, I threw in some Anavar and some Winstrel coming into a show. Nothing crazy. Um, and then in terms of coming off, that's a really tough process because, you know, you're taking all these physiological doses of all these compounds and your natural production shuts off. So you have to do what's called the PCT, which is what's called the post-cycle therapy. And what that means is you're taking products to not only shut down the production and block the production of estrogen, because when you have all these super high physiological doses of testosterone in your system, the body is always trying to find equilibrium. And so the counterpart to testosterone is estrogen. And so your estrogen will be at a, at a significantly higher level than what it would be naturally. So if you come off all these compounds, suddenly you don't have this exogenous testosterone or all the other supplements in your body or pharmaceuticals in your body. Your own natural production is completely shut down and you have this really high testosterone. So all your hormones are out of whack. So it's a process where you're basically almost bridging, where you're taking compounds. So one of them that's typically used is a product called Clomid. And this product naturally fires up your, or, or fires up your natural production again. And you take another product called HCG. And you would take, um, so those two products are meant to fire up your natural production. And then you would take estrogen block blockers like Novaldex or Arimidex or Aromacin or Letrozole um, to essentially shut down and block the production of estrogen while you are refiring up your natural testosterone. And unfortunately for some guys, that natural testosterone production never comes back, which is always the worry and the threat for young guys that are taking this stuff. That's um, why you need a coach. <laughs> it, 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 coach aside, that, I mean, it, it might not ever come back. Even oh, okay. if you do have a coach, and that's the worry. And so a lot of guys come up to me and they're like, hey, you know, I want to take something for summer or, hey, you know, like, what should I take? And I always just say to them, like, buddy, like, you really need to think this through. Like, I didn't think it through when I was 26 years old. And thank God my system came back online and I was able to have and father two kids after I got married. But I know of a lot of guys that, that, that never get their systems back. And they're on TRT now for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's that's a big thing is you always see you always see whoever you're watching on YouTube or you or you look on videos, you just see the glamour, but you don't see what goes into the glamour, the hard work and the risk. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of risk involved. It's high yeah. risk, high reward. Yes. You know, and you need to be you need to look at both sides and really make a decision. Is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Am I willing to take these chances in order to get the body that i dream of 100 percent. and you know you you want to be you want to find a doctor that you can trust that won't um ridicule you but will be very honest with you about the decisions you're making 
and help you monitor what you're doing. And when I say that, I mean by getting blood work and looking at your liver enzymes, your triglycerides, your HDL and LDL, and giving you honest advice about what you're doing and helping you make educated decisions. Because at the end of the day, the decision is always up to you. It's always up to you to decide what to do and what not to do. Because generally, when you make these decisions, you're a grown adult. Yeah. Right? And so you have to have all the information in front of you and you know and you weigh the risk versus reward and you make that decision yourself. Yeah, that's that's so important. And to the to the young guys out there, you just you really just be careful because I know you're young and you're like, "Oh, I just want to be big so I can hit people hard in my rugby game." But be smart, you know? It's just educate yourself. Really, there's a lot there's so much information. It's insane how much information there is out there. Absolutely. And, and not only that, but plus there are doctors that offer their services through consultation that specialize in TRT. And you can set up a consultation with them and you can call them and, and find out. And they have, um, they have uh, clients that are the biggest and best bodybuilders and professional athletes in the world. Like I did a consultation with this one doctor. I found him through YouTube. His name is Dr. Thomas O'Connor. And he's someone that's been featured on Generation Iron, all these massive bodybuilding sites. And he has clients that are professional athletes, professional MMA fighters, uh, professional bodybuilders that he works with all of them. And he will give you the real deal advice as someone who is a paid professional that specializes in testosterone therapy. So the resources are out there. All you got to do is look for them. Yep. Um, so you were doing this for, I guess, almost oh, oh, almost over 10 years now. How did you see um, bodybuilding progress through those years, if so at all? Or your knowledge kind of progress? Um, okay, so, you know, when I first did it, I was I was thinking, okay, like, I really... I really want to make it um, like my thing. Like I, you know, after my first competition, I was like, okay, like I want to earn my pro card. You know, I don't want to start a YouTube channel. Um, I want to start, you know, like building my name and selling programs and getting out there. And then I started to just kind of see, like I, you know, I really love the training. I love the training. I love the gym, but I don't like the fact that I have to constantly vlog about my life and let the whole world know about all the inner workings of my day to day and really get myself out there. And so I, I just, I just made a conscious decision that that's not for me. I want to just focus on the training and make that a really huge part of my life because it's a passion of mine. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. And I, I always found that with working out, it kind of helped me keep my ego in check. Like, um, because I, I guess it's just like the, it's, it's therapeutic, right? You, you're working out, but then when you add like the vlogs and the, then it start, then you kind of become a little more self-conscious because all these people maybe in the comments can say stuff. And, and it, I've always been someone that's tried to avoid, um, caring about other people's opinion. And it's hard not to care when you're becoming a YouTube star. Absolutely. And, um, Absolutely. and you obviously have had an amazing 
uh, from start to finish journey and you've been through the trenches and you've learned, um, what are some of the idols or guys that you looked up to as you were on that journey? Oh, I mean, I really looked up to that first coach that I had, Matt. Um, I mean, uh, he was, he was a huge inspiration, but at the same time, just seeing how a natural bodybuilder has to live. Like I'm talking like this guy would bring his food scale in with him to restaurants, you know, (laughs) that's awesome. I mean, you know, that's how it goes because one of the things with, um, one of the things about natural bodybuilding versus unnatural is that the drugs can really help, you know, kind of glaze over details. Yep. You know what I mean? Like if you're yep. not perfect with your diet or you're not perfect with your sleep regimen, um, you know, the testosterone can hide these things because, or the drugs or whatever you're taking, because it's like, you know, you see guys that are in the gym that are on a ton of gear uh, not necessarily the gym that you and I work out at, Graham, but, at, you know, I've gone to Venice Beach and I've seen these guys and they look fantastic, but at the same time, like, they're probably not eating like the way Matt did. Yeah. You know? And so I just was like, I don't want to live like that. <laughs> I don't want to live like a monk. I want to live a balanced life. And if I want to take my wife out on a date and, you know, go, or I want to eat a burger, or if I do want to go to McDonald's and crush a whole bunch of McNuggets or whatever, like I want to feel, yes. free to do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go to Wendy's yeah. and get a couple Baconators. Yeah. You got to enjoy your life, man. Yes. Especially because you're a family man. Yeah. So speaking on crushing Baconators, what is the craziest cheat meal? that you've ever had or cheat day let's go with cheat day okay so the last competition i did was in 2015 um it was called the emerald cup it was just over the border uh in bellingham and uh right after the competition i think i was 210 when i stepped on stage Started eating birthday cake, double stuffed Oreos, went out to a restaurant, had an Oreo shake, burger, chili cheese fries, you know, just went to town. Yeah. I think literally within 40 hours, I was 233. Oh my gosh. So a lot of it was water weight, for sure. Yeah, because of all the added salt and stuff and yeah, your body's I just mean, absorbing. Exactly. So 23 pounds in 40 hours and that is incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. I, that's why I'm just like, you know, the competition days are behind me. I mean, and a that's, people- a, that's another factor is binge eating. Um, yes. That's another side effect that can happen is cause you're cutting people just go crazy and then they end up like, um, I had a, my stepdad, I won't say his name, but my stepdad was a Olympic wrestler. Um, he did wrestling and he has, he, got out of it and as an adult he has a problem with like binge eating and eating burgers and stuff because he was starving himself for so long of course weight cutting that's a very very extreme like sport they do cutting. insane weight cutting like yeah. they they're in a sauna on a bike and in, in in a full sweatsuit just cutting as much as possible yep it's uh it's pretty it's pretty intense 
Um, so one of the questions that my viewers love, and you are in Vancouver, is what is uh, one or two of your favorite restaurants and a meal you like to get in Vancouver? All right. So there's this place called Kintaro. Have you heard of it? Uh, it, it rings a bell. It's a ramen place. It's one of those hole-in-the-wall joints. Um, it's on uh, the corner of Denman and Robson. Um, and you go there and you, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really tight and you can sit at the bar and you can see like the broth that they're boiling with all the huge pounds of meat and stuff, oh. but they, they make some mean ramen, man, with this, oh. these giant thick fatty pork chops. Oh, it's, oh um, my gosh, dude. And ramen is a little bit, is that they use milk it's a, or cre it's a little bit more thick of a broth than compared to like faux. So ramen, they're actually, the thickening is actually the fat from the, the actual pork. Okay. So, so one of the things that they specify when you go to Kintaro is how do you like your meat? So do you want a fatty piece of meat or lean? Or how do you want your broth? Do you want it light, medium, or heavy? And that, and the light, medium, or heavy determines how much fat they actually shake into your broth. Oh it's, my god! It's, it's, it's so um, good. It is um, fat is amazing. flavor, baby. Fat Dude, is flavor. We're gonna have to hit that up one of these days because oh, is, we we will. It is we damn will. good. Oh my god! Yeah, my, one of my buddies, Emmis, is a ramen fanatic. Okay, well the, he the, goes. Yeah. We'll 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 hit a hit a chest day and then go get some ramen. <laughs> <laughs> speaking speaking of, we've been we've been pretty blessed um, at the Arbutus Club being open and we've been able to use it during the pandemic. Yes. But man, do I miss the steam room? Oh my god! <laughs> first oh, no, world man. problems. <laughs> Definitely first world problems, man. Most people don't even have a gym to go to, so I feel very very blessed, very lucky. Um, to continue to be able to train and, and do what I love to do. Otherwise, I'd just go absolutely crazy. Same. I would go insane. So on to another restaurant. Give me another one. Thinking maybe late night, you know, you had a couple drinks. Oh, okay. I just took the wife to Miku um, for her birthday a couple nights ago, and that place is awesome. Really, really great Japanese food. Two Japanese places. That's funny. I need to think of a, another spot that's got like really awesome burgers or something. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fast food guy when it comes to burgers. That's fine. Lay it out. Oh, dude. Like the Wendy's Baconator. Double White Baconator? Spot. Yes. Wendy's. I mean, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, White Spot. The legendary, the BC burger. That's, oh. that's, that's amazing. Triple O oh. sauce. They did it right with that triple O sauce. My, they sure did. They did. I love yeah, White you know Spot. What's, you know what's really, really good? Uh, the White Spot Sunny Start. Have you ever had that? What's that? Oh, bro. It's, bro. Their, <laughs> it's, it's their breakfast burger. So it's in a hamburger oh. bun, bacon, egg, cheese, and triple O sauce. Oh, you shouldn't have told me. It's called, oh, no. it's called the White Spot Sunny Start. And you can get it anywhere, any white spot? Yeah. It's a breakfast oh, I, food. Oh, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. That sounds yeah. amazing, my friends. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Burgers with a fried egg are unreal. 
So lastly, my last question is, how has things changed for you um, with the COVID and everything? How have you um, I mean, the thing is, is that I work from home. Um, so that hasn't really changed. And I'm totally a family man. Like I spent all my time with my kids and my wife. Um, so life hasn't really changed for me. I mean, if COVID wasn't here, my life would be exactly the same. <laughs> I joke about this with the wife because I'm like, I don't think I've changed it all throughout COVID at all. She's like, no, you haven't. And my schedule is identical. That's pretty awesome, actually. I feel very fortunate. I do. I mean, I hear about a lot of people and and, and I hear their stories and I feel for the men because this is a really tough time for a lot of people in a lot of different industries. You know, whether you you work in, you know, in retail or restaurant or, uh, you know, the nightclub scene or whatever, like it's tough. It's incredibly tough. And the sad reality is a lot of the smaller companies are going to get absorbed by the bigger companies. Um, But that just seems to be the way of the world. That's just how it goes. It is, yeah. Uh, But what is cool is it's given people a time to kind of reflect um, and and on themselves and improve themselves, you know, get some good habits locked in and, and realize that you can survive being by yourself. You don't have to be with friends every do- every night. You don't have to go out and buy food every night. It's possible to just chill. But uh, anyway, it was lovely having this conversation with you, my friend. Um, just to finish off, would you like to shout out your work or your Instagram or anything? And then we'll uh, we'll cut it off here. So, I mean, I'm a self-employed guy. I do my own investments um, for work. Um and I have zero social media. I made a conscious effort to do that. No, I uh, I cut out my social media too. Good idea, man. I mean, I will shout out my wife's. Her her Instagram is at Maya M A J A K W E I, and she's an influencer and she's entering the uh, professional modeling scene. So, Lucky I'm on you. there. I've got a couple photos on there, and we're with the kids and stuff. But it's mostly her. So <laughs> I'll shout her out. Sounds good. Thanks for chatting with me, and I'll see you at the Arbutus Club soon enough, my friend. All right, brother. No problem. Uh, have a go on. Peace out. You too.